Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Yeah, I got it. You know, I'm done when I'm done, just so you understand. Yeah, I'm done when I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done when I'm done, so hush. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I tried to find a study guide for Romans by John MacArthur because I figured I'd be They got a commentary set on that, so you could get those. Commentary set. I was trying to find it, and then I guess from bookstore, I couldn't find. I found some other things, but I, okay. knew, I yeah. knew if I found commentary from John MacArthur, I could miss class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as, as going over the prayer request, I was just thinking, life down here is just a, icky, isn't it? Yeah. It's just icky. Right. Yep. Well, because they're coming back, you know. Yeah, they're coming back fairly soon here, you know. Yeah, but the first hour, a lot of them go in there and listen to the sermon. So they, they sort of have squatters' rights, you know. Yeah, um, but you know, if you don't have the Lord, you know, life is just yuck. You know, as you get older, but one of the things that we have is an eternal perspective. And I know, you know, when Donna went to heaven, you know, the thing that really helped me is knowing that hey, she's all right. You know, I'll see her again someday. You know, who wants to be down here if you can be there? You know, um, and that helped me a lot. You know, just knowing that she's where I want to be. Really, you know, so explain to me how that's bad. You know, I mean, you're supposed to feel grief, right? But we grieve, but not like those who have no hope, you know. And when we get to heaven, we're going to say, What took I wish I came here sooner, yeah, you know. Yeah. God wins, and by the way, the Bible said, did the Bible say things are going to get better and better before Christ comes back? You know, I always maintain that everything that's happening is supposed to happen. Yeah, God's allowing it to happen. It's not going to get any better. No. It's just going to get worse. No. And, I, you know, we have this expectation that it's supposed to get better and better and better, and it's like, that's not what the Bible says. You know? Yeah. Well, do you see the light? Do you see the light better in the daytime or at night? The what? Do 
you see your flashlight better in the daytime or at night? Yeah. The point is, as the world gets darker, we should get brighter, right? Yes. It's our perspective. You know, the God, God's given us a perspective to see. Um, yeah, you know, I have a very powerful flashlight and, you know, the, I don't know, 18, I don't know, all kinds of candle power on the thing, you know. Mm -hmm. But if I go outside in, right now and shine it, it, it's like, it's not even, is this thing working? Is it on? Yeah. But yeah, you go back at midnight and it's like blinds you, you know, because it's bright. So the darker the world, the brighter we should be, right? Good. Let your light shine before men. Isn't that what Christ tells us to do? Don't put it under a bushel basket. Light it. Light the house with it. Anyways, we're in Romans 4. We're making our way down through this. And um, we're verse 13 of Romans chapter 4. Remember what Paul is is done so far as he's said we're saved by or justified by faith we're not justified by works you can pick one or the other you can't have both the justification that you get by works is not good enough it's a human works righteousness which doesn't work the Bible says our righteous deeds are as filthy rags the best we can do is not good enough we need the righteousness of God and how do you get that you get that by faith and of course, the Jewish person say, "But, but, 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 wait a minute. What about Abraham? What about what about the law? What about what I've been taught my entire life? Actually, they've been taught this their entire life. That salvation is something you earn. God owes you something. God owes it to you." I remember talking to a Mormon that I worked with, and I did family history. One time, I went to the family history research center, and they wouldn't let me in because they were doing a a um, temple dedication or something like that. And only Mormons with a recommend from their pastor were allowed into the building. And I asked her about that. I said, well, you've got to be worthy to go in. I said, all right. That, answer, that tells me everything I need to know. Because I think, here's the deal. The more you think God owes you heaven, the less likely you are to go there. The more you think you deserve it, the less likely you are to get it. All right? you got to understand that you don't deserve it. And Paul's trying to get that through to these Roman Gentiles and Jewish people in the church, that it's not by works. In fact, he goes back and he says, let's look at Abraham, because they're going to raise Abraham as, here's this guy that was saved, redeemed, justified by what he did. He was circumcised. Well, we talked about that last week. Abraham was circumcised 13 years after he was declared righteous. So circumcision had nothing to do with that, right? It was a sign of the covenant. Abraham was justified right around 86. It says that in, in Genesis 15. And then he wasn't circumcised until he was 99. So there's a big gap of time there. So it's not that. And they said, yeah, yeah, but what about the law? What about the law? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 13, it did not come by the law. He believed God, right? God said, I'll make a great nation. It says Abraham believed God and it was legitimate, credited, accounted to him for righteousness. He was justified on the basis of him believing God. And by the way, that's the way it's always been. How are you justified? You believe what God said. 
What's God said now? God says you're a sinner. I believe that. God says you, you can't save yourself. I believe that. God says Jesus died in your place, took your place. I believe that. If you trust in him and ask him to forgive you, he will. I believe that. You do? God, that's all it is. All faith is is just believing God, right? Nothing more than that. Just believe what God says. And, and by the way, it's not just believe it. What do you have to do next? You got to do it. You got to do it. You can believe all day long, and if you don't do anything about it, it's no help. You got to do it. And he says, the promise to Abraham that he would be a great nation, he would be blessed, came not through the law, but through believing God. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, he's saying this. If you are saved by the law, if you are justified by the law, if you become an heir by the law, then the promise means nothing. Right? It's one or the other is what he's trying to get at. You get one, you get the other, you don't get both of them. Abraham was either justified by believing the promise of God or he was justified by his works, but not both. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. What's the law bring? What's the law do? Yeah, and here's the penalties. Now, you know, we have a legal code now. Sometimes you know, your head spins trying to figure out the legal code, right? In fact, there are people who spend their entire lives and they still don't understand the legal code. They're called judges and lawyers. Seriously, you look at, you look at the legal code, the Ohio Revised Code, and you try... You try to read that thing as what, this high or this high or whatever, you know, trying to figure out all the different laws and rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff. God's, God's law is really simple. The legal code is really simple. You lie, death. Cheat, death. Murder, death. Disbelieve God, death. Gossip, death. That's the, that's the, it's a very easy legal code. No matter what you do, you die. It brings wrath. It brings wrath. The wrath of God is revealed constantly from heaven, right? He who keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point, he is guilty of all of it. All the law does is say, you do this, you're dead. And we look at that and say, well, I'm toast. Now that, by the way, is what the young, rich young ruler didn't get, right? Well, I kept all these from my youth up. Since I was you know, confirmed as a young Jewish male, I kept the law, really. I remember some guy standing up one time and saying, I haven't sinned for 28 years, and I said, you just did. We all sin. <clears throat> what does the law bring? It brings wrath. All the law does is tell you where you've messed up. All the law tells, does is tell you the penalty is death for every sin, right? What was the great sin of Adam and Eve? They ate the wrong tree. It's not the wrong tree. They knew what tree they were eating. They just didn't believe God. And that's enough to cause all the mess in the world from there on out. Paul's saying if you're saved by that, all the law does, folks, is he brings... It brings condemnation. You know, there's nothing in the Ohio Revised Code that says if you keep the speed limit for a month, we'll let you slide on a ticket. 
right? What's it say? If you speed, you pay a fine. It doesn't say, well, you pay the fine unless you've kept the speed limit for the last 30 days, in which case this is, doesn't count. It doesn't say uh, if you kill someone, we'll let you slide as long as you've been a good citizen for three years. What's it do? You're guilty. That's all the law does. It can't. There's no, here's the thing. There's nothing built into the law that lets you um, undo the violation of it. Okay? Some people have this idea, well, if I do a good deed, that outweighs a bad deed. No, it doesn't. What's the good deed? What should, the good deed is what you should be doing, right? It, it's not like, the, you know, well, officer, I know he's doing 110 and a 55, but, you know, um, yesterday I was doing 35 and a 35. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what I did yesterday. I so I kept the law yesterday. Oh, if you kept it yesterday, we'll let you go. No, what's going to happen? He's going to write out a ticket. That's the way it works. And, th and, th and that's why in verse 16 he says, that is why it depends on faith. How's your, why is your, how's your justification dependent? The reason it depends on faith is in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also the ones who shares the faith of Abraham. So it's the adherents of the law are the ones who have the law, but anyone who believes is part of that. Because how did Abraham get justified? He believed God before there was a law. It's the promise. It's not the... Now, let's, let's go over and let's skip over to Galatians chapter 3. Okay? Because Galatians 3 and, and Romans 4 sort of like they go hand in hand a little bit. And Paul's talking to the Galatian believers here. Now, who, where are, where's Galatia? That's the churches of Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and Antioch. They're in the province of Galatia. What do we know about those churches? When, when, who founded those churches, by the way? Paul did. On his, on his first missionary journey, he went to Iconium, Antioch, well, he went to city in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Why did he go to those towns? He followed the road. He did not get a brick from heaven telling him where to go. There's a road that went from, he just said, okay, I'm going to, the, what's the next town on the, on the road? That's where we'll go next. And he went to these churches and he went to the synagogues and preached in the synagogues. And when they threw him out of the synagogues, he went to the Gentiles, right? And then on his second missionary journey, he went back through these churches to check them out. And what quickly happened with these churches? What happened? Who came in right after Paul? Legalizers came trotting in right behind him, called Judaizers. What's the Judaizers say? Well, yeah, you know, Paul's only half right. You're saved by faith, but yeah, you've got to keep the law now. If you don't keep the law, you lose it. In other words, they got one foot out of the legalism, but they still got another one in it. You've got to keep the law. Peter was intimidated by that, and Paul told, told Peter off on that one. But then in verse 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, 
I think the root word for foolish there is moron. How'd you like your pastor stand up and say, you morons? Who's bewitched you? The idea of bewitched their sleight of hand is the guy who's a trickster, you know, card player, you know, the, that a magician. Who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this only. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How'd you, how'd you get your salvation? By keeping the law? No, by faith, right? Are you so stupid? He's really, he's really ripping into them here. Are you so stupid? Have you begun in the Spirit? Are you now perfected by the flesh? Okay, you started off in grace, and now somehow keeping the law is going to make you perfect, make you mature. What's wrong with you people? By the way, that doesn't mean we don't do good works, right? But we don't do them as a means of what? Getting to heaven, righteousness, or keeping it. Their idea was, yeah, you're saved by faith, but then you work to keep it. Sort of like a, what you see in Catholicism today, you know, a little bit, where, where you know, you, you have that initial infusion of grace at your baptism, and you work to keep, as long as you keep up the certain activities, you don't lose it. But if you commit a mortal sin, it's all over. You've got to get that taken care of, or you're not going to get to heaven. It's a very works of righteousness system. It's, every, it's all of them. It's interesting. I, I heard MacArthur say there's only two religions in the world, actually. Only two. The religion of divine accomplishment or the religion of human effort. That's the only two. Accomplishment. God does it or you do it. That's the only two. Now, there's all kinds of branches and flavors of you do it, you're on your own. Catholicism being one of them, Mormonism, JW, Buddhism, Hinduism, every other ism out there. Did you suffer so many things in vain if deeds in vain? So you believed in by faith that now you're suffering things, but now you're thinking you've got to go back and work. Is your faith in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law, by hearing with faith, just as what? Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. Do you do it by the works of the law? The one who does miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by faith? He's trying to get them to understand it's one or the other, not both. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. How are you a true son of Abraham? By being born a Jew or by believing God? Believe in God. By faith. That's the true son. That's the true because that's Abraham's our model of what it means to believe God. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all what? Nations be blessed. That's an interesting statement. The Jewish idea was God created the nations as fuel for hell. We're in. You got to be descended from Abraham to get into heaven. The rest of the nations, oh, they're, they're going to hell. But what did God say? In you all, what? Nations, people will be blessed. He goes back to the promise of God. When God blessed Abraham, God did not say, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your offspring only. Is that what he said? 
All nations will be blessed. All people will be blessed through you. There's a hint even in the Abrahamic promise that he's going to be a blessing to everyone, not just to the Jew. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And here's his argument. For all who rely on the works of the law are under what? A curse. For as written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Here's the problem. Those who are under the law are under a curse because all the law does is bring a curse. It just tells you you've messed up. There's nothing built into the law as a standard and means of regaining righteousness. It can tell you you've lost it. It doesn't tell you how to get it back again. It tells you where you messed up. Now it is evident that no one is justified by, before God by the law. He says, this is a duh axiomatic truth that you should know. What's wrong with you idiots? Don't you understand that you can't be justified by the law? All it does is bring a curse. If you don't do what it says, there's a curse. There's, there's nothing in the building of the law that tells you how to undo the curse. The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The law is not of faith. It's mutually exclusive. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The whole point there is that we don't get it by the law. How do we all, every human being, get this? By faith, by believing God, by the promise. To give a human example, brothers, let me give you an example. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls or adds to it once it's been ratified. So let me give you an example. Any lawyers in here? All right, good. Most of, There's not a lot of lawyers that are in heaven. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, it reminds me of the old joke about the the couple that were wanting to get married and you know they died before they were able to get married and they got to heaven and they were they loved each other so much they wanted to get married so they said well yeah we can pull that off we'll marry up here in heaven but they didn't get along and after a while they wanted to get a divorce and they said well you know we had a lot of preachers up here to marry you but we're, we're short on lawyers we're gonna have to wait a while before one shows up <laughs> um, but what are you saying here let me give you an example when you make a covenant you can't add to it or annul it, right? Once it's made, once it's ratified, once it's done, it's done. It's binding. Okay, that's what he's saying. Axiomatically, when you make a, a covenant, it's a binding covenant. You don't change the terms of it. You don't annul it. You don't add to it. Unless there's provisions in the covenant to do that, right? You don't. Now the promises were made to Abraham to his offspring. It does not say in offsprings referring to many, but to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. This is his masterful argument. God made a promise to Abraham. A covenant, right? He went through the animals, right? God went through the animals making a covenant with Abraham. You can't annul that. You can't, you can't change it. 
So the law that came 430 years later, does it have any effect on the promise that God made? No. How was Abraham justified? By what? By faith and believing God. That doesn't, the law does not change this. The law did not come along and say, we're going to change the terms of the covenant here. Now we're going to make, we're going to add some new provisions. You're saved by faith, but then you keep the law. No. You can't annul that promise that was made by God to Abraham. The promise came before the law. That's the point that Paul is making. How long before the law did it, was it made? 430 years. That's a long time. The law came at Sinai, right? About 1444-ish B.C. is when the law came. Abraham's back in the 1800 B.C. time frame. He's saying the, the, the law does not annul, overrule, replace the covenant of promise that God made Abraham. That covenant stands. It does not get disannulled. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave to Abraham by a promise. How did Abraham get it? By promise. The law can't undo that. God does not change his. I was, um, this week, um, at a, I go visit some friends at another church on Wednesday night. And the pastor's going through um, the immutability of God. What does it mean God is immutable? It's not changing. Now that does not mean that God is stagnant. But God's character, who he is, is not shifting. Does your character change over time? Hopefully for the better, right? We're, every bit, we're always in a state of flux. We're always getting better or worse or whatever. God never changes. He's immutable. So if God makes a promise, is that ever going to change? It cannot. Why? Why can't it change? God doesn't change. God's not going to make a promise to Abraham and then change his mind 430 years later by dumping a load of laws on people to say, this is how you're justified now. The argument that Paul is making is that these are mutually exclusive things. All the law does is bring a curse. It does not bring righteousness. You can't. You know, people say, can God, can God, you know, they say, well, God's, uh, he can do anything he wants. Consistent with what? Himself. Can God lie? No. Can God sin? No, by definition, what he does is right, right? He doesn't do it because it's right. It's right because he does it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here's my requirements. Yep. Without faith, you have to, this is what you have to do. Absolutely. And all the law, actually the law is just a codification of love, right? Commandment one, love the Lord thy God with all thy, you know, thou shalt have another, you know, um, thou shalt know the God before me. Well, if you love God, are you going to have other idols? Are you going to have anything before him? Not make any graven image. If you love God, are you going to make God into something he's not? 
No, if you love God, are you going to spend time with Him? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If you love God, are you going to uh, presume on His nature? That's nah, okay, God will forgive me anyways. If you love God, do you love that which God loves, right? Other people. Are you going to steal from other people? Are you going to lie? Are you going to bear false witness? Really, it's just a codification of love. And that's what the lawyer was questioning Christ, hit on it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Christ said, you got it. Because see, if you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to kill them, steal, lie from them, cheat them. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're not going to have idols. You're not going to worship in the wrong way. You're not going to presume on His nature. You're going to spend time with Him. It's by promise. All the law does is expose us for what we are, because that's what He says next. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Pedagogos is the word there. It's a slave that was um, in charge of training a young child. If you're a wealthy landowner, you would have your kids and you would give them over to a slave that would be responsible for their discipline and training. Now that kid might be heir of everything, but until he became heir, what was he? Under the bondage of the law. Paul is saying, what does the law do? The law places us under bondage. In what sense? You can't do it. Remember I said you got to get somebody lost before you can get them saved? If you don't understand you're lost, you're not going to understand your need for salvation. You're not going to want to be saved. You got to get them lost first. What does the law do? It tells you where you've messed up. It tells you all your error. It tells you all your sin. And that means I can't do it. And so what, what is my only option? The law says if I do this, I die. If I do this, I die. If I do this, I die. I'm dead. What do I do now? And God says, okay, you've got it. How, how, do, how is this taken care of? Believe the promise. By faith. Believe God. Believe what God said. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Why? For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. You're all one in Christ. What's, what's in, in Christ, there, the, the, the social, economic, gender distinctions are erased. We're all one in Him. By the way, that's not referring to the roles. That's not referring to that. These are hapoxes here, by the way, for male and female. It's uh, maleness in terms of maleness and females in terms of females. It's the gender. In Christ, in the church, is there any distinction between whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, a slave, a master, a bond person, a free person, white, red, pink, blue, orange, male, female? Does God care about any of that stuff? No. We're all one in Christ. And how is that? How do you get that way? Faith. Here's the point. God has created a salvation to be received by faith such that anybody is eligible. You ever think about that? It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter 
what ethnicity you might come from. None of that matters. Everybody comes the same way. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a takeaway I have from here is that God is no respecter of persons. What does that mean? We're all equal in his sight. By the way, we're all equally guilty. We're all equally in a mess. We're all equally lost. And it doesn't matter what your ethnicity might be or your race or your gender or your socioeconomic status. None of that matters. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And he wasn't a Jew yet because there weren't any Jews yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God chose Israel not to make them an exclusive get-into-heaven-only club. He chose them to be a light to the Gentiles. And what did he do? What did they do? Isn't it wonderful that God chose us and forget the rest of the world? We don't need to worry about them. And it's amazing to me, I was... Um, as young, there's a guy and I that get together, we're doing our Greek work together. We're going through the book of Matthew in Greek, sort of fun. I know, you're probably saying, you got a warped sense of fun, Alan, but all right. <laughs> but it's interesting, as you go through the genealogies, genealogy Matthew 1, you got some really ruffians pop up in that thing. You got Tamar, who's Tamar? She was a Canaanite. And yet she became part of the what? Messianic line. Then you've got Rahab. Now what was Rahab? Canaanite. 
She became part of the Messianic line. And then there's Ruth. What was she? A Moabite. What did God say about the Moabites? He cursed them as a nation, but Ruth was a Moabite. How did she get in this thing? And then Nebuchadnezzar, I think he'll be in heaven. I think we'll see Naaman up there too. I think, you know, as you go through the Old Testament, you see these glimpses where God is going outside the boundaries of Israel to reach pagans. It was for everybody. What made Ruth part of the Messianic line? She believed God. What about Rahab? Believed God. What about Tamar? You know, we don't know if she believed God, but she certainly wanted to be part of the people of God. There's a lot of rough people there, you know? Yep. How did Abraham get it? By faith. Gentile is non-Jew. So you got Gentile and you got Jews. That's basically the two big groups of people in the... Yeah. Man of faith. Not the man of works. Now the rabbis taught that Abraham kept the law even though he didn't have it and that's why God justified him. That's white space hermeneutics. Okay, that's pulling it out of thin air. That's not what the Bible says. And here's the point. God made the promise to Abraham. They would justify him by faith. And that promise that God made is not superseded or replaced by a law that came 430 years later. And the point that the writers of the New Testament are making is the law was never intended as a means of righteousness. It was never intended to be that. It was a pedagogos, it was a schoolmaster, it was a, a taskmaster that helps you understand that you're not righteous. See, that's the big problem. Again, you know, the, the, the big problem we have today is we don't want to get anybody lost. They made a couple of mistakes, but they're basically good people. That's not what the Bible says, right? What we read earlier on in Romans 3, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. We're like sour milk. What do you do with sour milk? You throw it out and bury it and get it out of your... It's gross, right? When I speak, the, the, the stench of the grave comes out. We're unrighteous. And that's what Paul's trying to get at here when you, when you go back to Romans chapter 4 here in this section. He's saying... It depends, verse 16, that's why it depends on faith in order the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham. In this case, who is the adherent of the law that he's sort of referring to? Who would that be? Who followed the law? Jews. So not only to the ones who follow the law, but to those who what? Share the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of Esau, as it written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed. 
So I made you father of many nations, not just one nation. See, God could have said, I made you the father of a nation, singular. And your offspring are in, but everybody else toast. That's not what he said. And you shall all people, all peoples of the earth be blessed. And then it says, in the presence of God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham believed God. He believed the one who calls all things into what? Existence. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. When God made the promise to Abraham, how many kids did he have? None. In fact, nothing showed up till the promise. The child of promise didn't show up for another 14 years. Yeah. But what did he do? He believed God. God said, I'll make a great nation. God, Abraham says, now I'm looking at the calendar here, Lord, and it says I'm uh, 86. Sarah's about 76. That's a little bit beyond our childbearing years. You sure you know what you're doing here? Maybe we'll give God a hand. That doesn't... Again... Here's, here's something you want to remember. Anytime you help God out, you create a mess that he has to clean up. Right? Sometimes it, it I guess she doesn't want you doing certain things because she's got to clean up after you. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. But the whole point there is that when you try to help God out, you create a mess. Don't create a mess. But he believed God, right? He said, God said, I'll make great nations. And, okay, I'm going to go with that. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, seems about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's room. I mean, he's 100. Sarah's now 90. Now, they lived longer in those days, but still, she was beyond the childbearing years. God likes to sort of do that. You know, I like to take older people and give them kids. Did that to Zechariah and Elizabeth, remember that? I don't want to say he's got a warped sense of humor. Well, I think God, here's, here's what I think God likes to do. God likes to set the situation up so that when something happens, there's no doubt as to who's done it. You ever, like, you ever think about that? He wants to make sure that we get the idea that the only reason this happened is because somebody stepped in and made it happen. It's not because I gave him a hand and helped him out. Yeah. Nobody. That guy was born blind and lived that way for over 30 years so that Christ could heal him. And he gets a chapter in the Bible. How'd you like that one? No, he did not, he did not do that. What did he do? No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God said, I'll make a great nation of you. You're going to have a son. Okay, I believe that. You say, but, 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 but what about the Ishmael? Well, the problem there is he thought he could help God out. He didn't need to do that, right? Yeah. So was he a man of faith that he believed God would do it? Yeah. And here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. Where did Abraham get this faith? From God. It's not his faith, right? You know, I want to believe God, but I don't want it to be my faith because my faith is what? Just not good enough, is it? 
with the faith that God gives, ah, that doesn't fail. God granted Abraham the faith to believe, and he was fully convinced from our perspective, he was fully convinced that, what God, that God was able to do what God promised. God's promised to never leave us or forsake us, right? So why is it when we get into a jam we think that God's lost his mojo? Yeah. But he knew God was there, but in humanness he felt abandoned, right? But what do we know? God says, I'll never leave you forsake you. I will take care of you. I get eternal heaven. He's going to fulfill his promises to me. That's why his faith was counter for righteousness. Why is it counter? Because he believed what God told him, and he banked his everything on that. Well, I don't think it got shaky. I think what it is is Abraham believed that God would give him an heir. But, the, but you know, he, he, okay, you're 75 years old. Let's take you. Let's pretend you're Sarah, you know. So you're 65. God shows up to your husband and says you're going to have a kid. You're 65 years old. And 15 years pass, or 10 years pass, no kid. Your husband's getting older. He's not a spring chicken. What are you thinking? Well, God promises a son, maybe... You know, there's this, you know, Abraham, there's this legal thing that lets us have a son. You know, maybe, maybe that's how God's going to answer it. So you give God a hand. It's not that you didn't believe that God would give you a son. The question is, how? I find myself a lot of times, it's not that God's going to take care of me, but how is he going to take care of me? How is he going to do that? And sometimes when we try to give God a little bit of a, a, assistance, He messes it up. And that's why I, told, I said last week, how do you know what to do in that situation? Pray for wisdom and pray the shepherd's prayer. Lord, don't let me mess this up. Yeah, she was cursed by the gods. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe I can help. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, whose idea was it for him to go into Hagar? Sarah's idea, right? It wasn't like Abraham said, yeah, let's do this. He went along with it. All right. We want to help God out. God does not need our assistance. And again, I think God every once in a while, he just loves it when somebody gives him a little bit of a challenge. 
like Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. Let's soak, let's soak this thing here. You know? let's, make it, let's, let's make it such that when that fire falls, and there's no doubt about how this happened. We mess it up. It ain't going to work. And that's why his faith was counted to him for righteousness. But the word, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Why? But for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead our Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. It's also for us who believe. He's the model. Here's the whole point of this. Abraham was justified by faith. That faith was rooted in a promise that God gave before the law came. The law cannot supersede the promise of God. You're saved by faith, or in your warped mind, you're saved by the law, but you can't have both of them. And the only one that really works is this believing God. That's it. There's no other way. And Abraham is not a model of one who kept the law and was saved because of what he did. He was, saved, he was redeemed, justified by who he believed. It's not what you do, it's who you believe. So, hey, we're in chapter 5 next week. We're going to have to celebrate. You know, we're going to have to start bringing in like a cake or, you know, like, you know, some kind of like, like, horn, you know, like a balloon, pop a balloon or something like that, yeah, going to a new chapter, you know. Yeah. Father, thank you so much for this day and thank you for this promise. Thank you, Father, that for the cross it's all level. Nobody's any better than anybody else. We're all the same. Salvation is by, what we, by who we believe, not what we do. And it doesn't matter whether we're a man or a woman, bond or free, Jew, Gentile, ethnicity, race, socioeconomic labels we give each other. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. All that matters is do we believe you. We believe the gospel. We believe what Jesus has done for us. And again, thank you for this time. Thank you for this promise. Thank you for this day. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.